Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, welcome everybody to our 2020 fling for guide dog users of Washington State. Um, it's a new experience for everybody this year, of course, and hope everybody's doing well. Um, I want to thank Deb for setting all of this up, Deb Cook Lewis for setting all of this up, and Daryl for streaming on ACB Radio. And um, so, uh, I'm going to just say that we have, um, we're going to get a report from the nominating committee and we're going to get a, um, a report from the constitution chair and then we're going to get a um, update from Sarah Calhoun from Guide Dog Users, Inc. And we have Rebecca and Rebecca, I'm so sorry, I can never remember your last name. Nelka. <laughs> yeah, um, to to do presentation on va first first aid. Sorry, um, and then if there's time, she will also talk about a puppy that she raised that was in pick of the litter, and there were maybe time for questions and answers. So welcome again, everybody, and glad that you're here. And so, uh, Danette, would you like to give us the nominating report? Sure. Okay. The nominating committee consists of me, Danette, the chair, of course, and Jolene Ferguson and Debbie Phillips for, as committee members. And we will be looking for vice president, which Andy can run again. We will be looking for a board position one, which Haley can run again. And we also will be looking for a secretary, which I personally, sadly, have been termed out. So, and you will be getting, so everybody be watching for your, in your emails, you will be getting emails. And if, if you're not, if you want to want for an election, send me an email. It's just Danette Dixon, D-A-N-E-T-T-E-D-I-X-O-N-6-3 at gmail.com. If you're interested in running for a position, just send me a little letter of interest and what position you're interested in, and we'll go from there. Okay. Thank you. All right, Sherry, would you like to summarize the... Um Propose the yeah, sure. proposed constitutional <laughs> amendment. <laughs> sure. Um, so this is Sherry Richardson, and we are looking at making a change to our constitution. Up until this point, our board meetings have never been closed, but no one's ever really known when they were unless they were on the board. So it's not like they've been super open either. And it was never intentional that way. It just, um, it just has been that way. So we've decided though, that we should go ahead and clarify in the constitution that our board meetings are open to the public. And um, with the proviso that under certain strict conditions, there can be closed executive meetings. Um, and basically, I have, we, I have proposed some language, but we have not finalized it, so I'm not going to read it today. But if anybody really wants to look at what we're looking at, it's uh, in the ACB Constitution, and we're going to steal some of that language and, and then make it suitable for ourselves. 
So that's what we're looking at. We may also clarify um, what it means to be a guide dog user um, because our constitution specifies that our president and vice president need to be both legally blind and guide dog users. And that has never been clarified either. So those two things are what we're looking at at this point. Um, they will be sent out to the uh, membership uh, at least 30 days prior to the election. Uh, I mean, prior to the business meeting, because we will need to um, have time to review those. So that's all I have. All righty then. Thank you, Sherry. And um, so... Yeah, <laughs> I left a lot of time for this section of the um, program, and it is, uh, they did a good job at summing it up really quick. <laughs> so, um, uh, it's been a strange year. We have, as Gadoos, has we've been having board meetings, and we normally have a spring fling in the spring of course and this year we had to postpone it and it became this virtual 2020 fling that we're doing today um some of the things that we have been involved in is the give big campaign and in that give big campaign we had it where people could designate just for our general fund or they could designate for the marlena lieberg scholarship fund um, and I didn't ask Sherry to do this ahead of time, but I would like, Sherry, could you describe the Marlena Scholarship Fund? That would be my privilege, and thank you. Thank I was you. actually going to say, Vivian, can I mention the <laughs> So, yes, thank you. Um, so, uh, Guide Dog Users of Washington State, for those of you who don't know us, um, started, initiated a fund, uh, I believe it was in 2018, for uh, guide dog users who are going to training for a dog. Uh, and it's a, it's a $100 scholarship. Um, and it's basically just meant to sort of defray some of the extra expenses that we all incur when we go to guide dog school or we, or we have in-home training by the guide dog school. There's always new things we want to buy for our dogs, or there's you know, a new pair of shoes for ourselves because we're walking more or some little something that we need that isn't being covered by the school in one way or another. So this was the brainchild of Marlena Lieberg. And um, Marlena was one of our, well, one of our founders, I guess she was probably the, <laughs> the founder in terms of the idea. And um, so when she passed away, she had already been working on setting this up and we took the ball from there and continued uh, to, to go ahead and set up the scholarship. So at this time, it is only open to members of Guide Dog Users of Washington State. Um, one of the things that the board has been discussing is whether it may be time to open it more broadly um, because we, we have raised some funds for that and we we do have some funds now prepared for that purpose so uh i guess stay tuned and hopefully people will be hearing more about this as as time goes by thank you sherry yes it was a lifelong dream of marlena's to have this scholarship and um it's 
been um, very rewarding to set, get it set up in her honor. Um, her heart and soul was this organization. And so, yeah. Um, and I thank Sherry for all of her hard work on that. <laughs> and actually, I was the first recipient of a uh, scholarship when I went down to get my current dog. And it was very helpful for incidentals. Okay, let's see. Oh, goody. We're still like 10 minutes out before Sarah's due. Um, well, why don't we just move Rebecca up and then do okay. Sarah, Sarah after? The other end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That would be fine because Rebecca is here. So, Rebecca, would you like to do that? That is fine with me. Yes. Okay, perfect. And welcome. And thank you for taking time out of your day to join us and educate us a little bit and, and uh, just share the day with us. So yeah. I will turn it over to you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am really excited to be here. Uh, and I have my assistant with me today. Uh, so if you are tuning in on video, you might be able to see Winnipeg hanging out with oh. me. She is a guide dog puppy in training. She is number 10. So we have hit double digits. <laughs> um, we never imagined we would be double digits family, but uh, <laughs> here we are. Um, and so she's going to be my assistant. I am going to demonstrate some of our skills today, uh, and then I'll also talk through them as I'm demonstrating them to hopefully give us as many avenues of understanding as possible. Um, so just before I jump in, a little bit about me. My family and I have been raising guide dogs for about 14 years now. Like I said, Winnipeg is number 10, so we've been doing this for a little bit. Um, and we absolutely love it. It's such a great opportunity, um, and I'm so grateful uh, that all of you have made us a part of your community as well. Uh, I have two young sons, and it is so important for them to know and understand that um, community is not just the people that look exactly like them. Uh, community is everybody around us, and so we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your community as well. Um, I'm also a nationally certified trainer for CPR and first aid for humans, um, and I've been doing that for almost 20 years now. Um, so a class like this, uh, combining my CPR and first aid training with my love of guide dogs uh, and some of my risk management background, uh, this is kind of my passion for both. It's a great opportunity for me to share that. So thank you so much for that. I'm so honored that you would ask me um, to be a part of this. Um, so with that, kind of before we get started too much, uh, there are a couple things that are just really important to talk through. Um, so what I'm going to be presenting today is based heavily on the American Red Cross Pet First Aid course. Uh, it is not endorsed, <clears throat> excuse me, it is not endorsed by Guide Dogs for the Blind or any other guide dog organization. Uh, and so that's really important to understand because it should never supersede recommendations from those organizations for how to care for your dogs. <clears throat> this is also not a certification course. It used to be. It is not anymore. It's now a general information course. Uh, and so it is widely and publicly available uh, and it is free. So if you have a smartphone, you can go to either the Apple uh, App Store or the Android App Store, and you can actually download the American Red Cross Pet First Aid app. 
Uh, and so most of the things I discuss here today, as well as many others that I won't be discussing for the sake of time and also for the sake of um, applicability, uh, are available through that app. Uh, so I highly recommend that app. I will give the caveat, it is not very accessibility friendly. Uh, and I don't know how it would work with any accessibility apps that you would have on your smartphones. Um, so I cannot speak to that, um, but it's got great information. And then finally, everything that I discuss here today uh, is not to replace advanced veterinary care. And I'm sure everybody knows that, but I just want to make sure that we're really clear. These are meant to be emergency procedures that will buy time until you can get to advanced veterinary care and until you can speak to your guide dog organization. Uh, so when in doubt, call your vet, call your organization. Uh, these are not meant to replace any guidance that you would receive from either of those sources. Uh, so with that, those are kind of the caveats and uh, we can jump in. Uh, and so I wasn't quite sure what format this was going to take. <clears throat> so a lot of it will be me talking because I was hoping there might be like some back and forth discussion. I don't think that'll be able to happen. Um, but Think of it in terms of we're having a discussion. We'll definitely be able to take uh, questions and comments when you're ready for them, and okay. people will be able to to ask you questions or or make comments um, when when you're ready for that. Okay, that's perfect. Thank you. So I want to start with before an emergency occurs, uh, and it's really important that we're doing some prep work before we get into that emergency situation where now we have to use these skills that we've learned. Uh, and so to kind of speak to that, like, why? Why would we need to have a preparation? Why would we need to take time to know what we're going to do before that emergency occurs? Uh, and there's two reasons. The first is uh, a baseline is key to understanding when there is something wrong with your dog. Things like your dog is bleeding, that's going to present fairly obviously, okay, I need to care for my dog. But if a dog is unwell, your best bet to see that they're unwell or to note that they are unwell is knowing what their baseline is. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about body knowledge of your dog. And so with that, I'm going to turn my little camera here towards Winnipeg. She is on her back hanging out. She is a happy pup right at the moment. Um, and so I know for Guide Dogs for the Blind, and I assume for other organizations as well, having these handling opportunities is really important. So one of the things you can do as you're having your handling time is you can be paying attention to some different things about their body that will begin to give you a baseline understanding of what is normal for them. So the first one is their breathing rate. And so as they are either sleeping or if you're doing puppy handling, you can just really gently set your hand right around their rib cage. She's going to wiggle on me now, which is going to make it hard. And you're just going to count the number of breaths over the course of a minute. Now, you can cheat and you can do it for 10 seconds and then multiply it by six. But some of these you will not get really good, accurate breath counts when you do that. So we do recommend that you do it for a full minute. And you just kind of rest your hand on them. And every time they take a breath in, you count it. Normal for dogs across almost all breeds is about 10 to 30 breaths per minute. 
However, if they're panting, they can gust up to 200 breaths per minute. So that's a lot. Uh, so again, the importance of knowing what's normal for your dog. Hey, what are you doing? Come back here. The next thing is there, it's called the capillary refill time. It also is called blood perfusion. So it is how quickly blood flows back into a part of their body after we do something to kind of push the blood away from that part of their body. And that tells us a lot about uh, heart rate and also about pulse. So to check capillary refill time on a dog, you're going to go ahead and lift up their lip to expose part of those lovely pink gums. We'll talk more about the color of their gums in a moment. And you're going to take your thumb and you're going to briefly press your thumb against those pink gums. Then you're going to remove your thumb and you're going to count how many seconds it takes for those beautiful pink gums to go from white back to pink. It should take one to two seconds. If it takes longer than four to five seconds, it's showing you that your dog does not have great circulation at that moment. Uh, it will stay pale for longer than one to two, maybe three seconds tops. So that's a great sign that there's something going on with your dog internally that they may not have any external symptoms, but it's important to note. The other thing is just paying attention to the color of that exposed skin. Once again, when you lift up that lip, you should be able to see beautiful, healthy pink gums. If they are other colors, if they are pale or gray or white, uh, or even if they're blue, blue is a sign that there's poor oxygen circulation. They're struggling with their breathing. Uh, and so those are colors that are very concerning and definitely should require a call to the vet. Now, it's important to keep in mind that your dog's normal may not look exactly like every other dog's normal. Uh, for those of you that have been following the news, you might have seen Kareth. She's a golden retriever career change down in California. She has a big black spot on her tongue. Uh, and so obviously, we wouldn't look at that big black spot and say, oh, well, that's a discoloration that shows poor circulation. That's just normal for Kareth. Uh, and so definitely knowing what is normal for your dog, taking a look at those gums, those places where you would be checking for that perfusion uh, is important. Because if they have a big black spot on their gums, obviously it's not going to be that beautiful, warm pink color. Uh, the final thing we're going to look at to get a baseline for our dogs is their heart rate. And so to check the heart rate on your dog, you want to have your dog laying down on their right side. Winnipeg is not going to help me here. She is laying down on her left side. And if I try to make her roll over, she's going to get super crabby and not want to lay down at all. <laughs> so you are supposed to check for heart rate underneath the left armpit. So I'm just going to slide my hand in here and I'm going to tuck my fingers way up into her armpit. And if I am very, very still, I should be able to feel her heart rate. Yep, there it is against her ribs, way up deep in her armpit. And if I count that for a minute, I should feel about 60 to 100 beats per minute. 60 if she's resting, 100 if she's been active, running around the backyard, those kinds of things. Um, and so that's a great way, again, if you're seeing poor blood perfusion when you check your dog's gums, follow it up with a heart rate check and then definitely call your vet if it's outside of normal. Okay.
So those are some of the body work things that you can kind of begin to understand about your dog before an emergency occurs. Uh, and recognizing that an emergency is occurring is a key component of caring for an emergency. Uh, and you're not going to recognize that that emergency is occurring unless you know what is normal for your dog. In addition to these body things that I just demonstrated, you'll likely see a behavior change as well. And we'll talk a little more about that towards the end of my presentation. I'll talk about what shock in a dog looks like. Uh, and so you'll see some behavior changes as well. Again, nobody is more qualified to know that something is off in your dog than you. Trust your gut. If something seems off, call your vet, call your organization. Uh, it is always better to find out sooner than later. Um, all right, so to kind of wrap up our first section here on before an emergency occurs, the last thing I want to talk about is emergency preparation. Um, and with hurricanes and potentials for earthquakes and all the things that are going on in our world today, uh, this is as much for people as it is for dogs. Uh, so my first recommendation is to have a pet first aid kit. Uh, that can be a part of your human first aid kit, uh, or it can be something separate that is for your pet uh, or for your guide dog. Um, that is well worth investing in. Uh, there are lists available online. I would recommend looking at a couple of different lists, kind of seeing what's common between them, and then also thinking about what is going to work for you, for your needs, and for your space. So for example, in our household, we have an entire shelf on a closet or in a closet devoted to our primary first aid kit. I train first aid. I do first response. It makes sense for us to have an extensive first aid kit available in our home. We also have fully stocked first aid kits in both of our vehicles because I'm often out in public and I have to use these skills when I'm out in public. So again, it makes sense for me to have quite a stocked first aid kit when I'm out in public. If we're going hiking or cycling, our first aid kit is about the size of my hand, and it's about as thick as both of my hands put together, like prayer hands. Uh, so it's an extremely slimmed down version. If you are carrying a backpack when you are out and about with your guide dog, you might want a very slimmed down version like that to carry with you, but at home, you might have a much larger version. So think about your needs uh, and what you come up against on your day-to-day -day life. Uh, and then also think about what are things that are recommended across the board because, hey, these are things that are really useful no matter what the situation. Um, I also highly recommend that you add dog materials to your human emergency kit. Uh, and so it's recommended that for evacuating, you have a three days plan. That's food, that's um, medication, everything you would need to survive for three days during an evacuation. And for shelter in place, which we're getting a lot of practice with these days, uh, it's actually recommended that you have 14 days worth. Interestingly, when all of this first went down back in April, Guide Dog sent out an email to all of their raisers and said, we want you to have a two-month supply of food laid in because we don't know what's going to happen with supply chains. Uh, we don't know if food is going to be readily available. We don't want you to run out. 
So definitely add food, any medications for your dog. If you are stockpiling water for an extended shelter in place, think about how much water your dog is going to need on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Think about cleanup supplies. How are we going to make sure that we can clean up after the dog if we have to shelter in place? Um, So definitely be thinking about adding emergency supplies for your dog to your human emergency kit. Um, And that should be kept in an easily accessible place in your home, and you should be updating it at least annually. Medications expire, food expires. um, So those are really important parts of being prepared for an emergency with your dog. It's worth noting here in the Pacific Northwest, there is a one in 10 chance that that big one, that major earthquake in the Cascadia subduction zone is going to happen in the next decade. So that's basically a 100% chance in the next 100 years. For every 10 years, that goes up 10%. Uh, That is worth thinking about. Have those emergency supplies for you and for your dog in place. Uh, And then along with that, make sure you have a predetermined plan for emergencies that includes caring for your dog and that uh, those most likely to be near you know about it. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, whatever that plan is that those close to you know, this is where I'm going to go if we are told to evacuate. This is who I'm going to call if I have to shelter in place. And then finally, practice those evacuation routes in your home, in your place of work. Uh, Make sure that you know where you're going to go in case of evacuation. Uh, If there's a fire in your home, do you know how you are going to get out of your home with your dog? So all of those are really critical preparing for an emergency aspects. Those are things that I would highly recommend that you would look into. Um, Most humans are not prepared for an emergency. Um, Never mind humans having to prepare for themselves and their dogs. Um, So that's a really great way that you can just take that extra step and make sure you and your dog are prepared for that. Um, So with that, I'm going to actually finally get into this uh, first aid piece of this talk. Uh, Winnipeg has now gone to sleep, so she is going to be the worst assistant ever. Um, So I want to talk first about muzzling, and that's kind of not a great word in our dog training communities these days. Um, And so I want to open it up uh, if we can Uh, why do you think it would be important to know how to muzzle a dog in an emergency, particularly in a first aid emergency? Okay. If someone would like to, uh, and, and, uh, someone has just raised their hand for that. Um, so we will, um, open up the mic for Haley. Go ahead and unmute Haley. I'm sorry. It took me a minute to find my phone. You did good. Um, I would say it's because when a dog is in pain, they are scared and the first thing they will try to do is bite you. You are absolutely correct, Haley. When a dog is in pain and scared, they get very defensive and a bite is the quickest way that they can show that they are feeling defensive, they don't feel safe. Um, And so the first thing we wanna do when we have a medical emergency is actually going to be to muzzle our dog for our safety and also for their safety, because if they were to bite something inappropriate, they could actually hurt themselves as well. Winnipeg, come on. So I'm gonna have Winnipeg stand up, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna demonstrate how we muzzle a dog in an emergency, uh, and then I will also talk through it as well, so that those of you that are not able to see us today uh, are going to also understand how to do it. So what I have here is I have a length of roller gauze, 
this is going to be one of the things that's recommended in your first aid kits for your pets. And so we're going to go ahead and unroll it a fair ways because uh, we're going to need a length here in order to do this. And we're going to grab it at the midpoint and we're going to gently rest it over the dog's nose, over the dog's muzzle. Come here. Hi, I love you. And then underneath their nose, we're going to crisscross it. So we're going to make a little X underneath the nose. And we're going to pull that relatively tight. Now, right now, she's very uncomfortable. She is upset with me. But she also cannot open her mouth. So she cannot bite. So we're going to do that one more time. We're going to come over the top of the nose. And we'll crisscross. And under the bottom of the nose. Come back here. Thank you. Sit. And again, crisscross under the nose. So once you've done that twice, you'll take the two ends of your roller gauze, tuck them behind and under the ears, and you'll tie a firm double knot at the back of the neck. All right, now she cannot open her mouth. So if I need to give her any care, I know that I am safe. She is not going to bite me. She can still breathe just fine but I know I am safe and she will not be able to bite me. That's good. I did not have roller gauze earlier this week as I was getting ready and preparing. It was a good thing I checked because I had to go out and get some. Uh, and so interestingly, uh, the leashes that we use are just about the perfect length to do exactly this skill. And then they can actually clip behind the ears using one of the extra metal rings. Uh, and so if you have a guide dogs for the blind leather leash, uh, with the two rings on it, you can actually use your leash to create a muzzle. Wow, good. Um, so that was a fun little interesting thing that I learned this week as I was just making sure I understood how to do this skill. All right. So that is how to create a homemade muzzle, should it be needed, before you give any kind of medical care to your dog. Good girl. You're so good. So Rebecca, is it okay if people use a commercial um, a commercial muzzle? Because that would be so much easier. Absolutely. Yes. If you have a commercial muzzle and you are carrying it with you, you can definitely do that. Uh, this is meant to be if you do not have one available to you. Okay. Okay. Is a commercial muzzle like the head collar thing similar to that or is it not? Would that work? Uh, a head collar would not work. The okay. idea of a head collar is yeah. that it's like a halter. They can still open their mouth. They can eat in a head mm -hmm. collar. That's true. They can drink in a head collar, so it would not okay. keep the mouth closed. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Those are great questions. Are there any other questions about uh, the muzzle before I go on? I don't see any hands raised. All right. Excellent. So then what I'll do now is I'll go on to bleeding because bleeding is going to be one of the most common things that we see, um, either non-emergency bleeding or in some cases, emergency bleeding. And so this can be from cuts. It can be from tears. It can be from bites. Uh, you may see bleeding in a pad from a thorn, those kinds of things. Uh, and so for materials for bleeding, you are going to want to make sure that you have either a towel or something like this. This is a gauze square. This is a three inch by three inch. I would not recommend getting anything smaller. It's too small. You could get something bigger, but they become bulky very quickly. Uh, and so you would use either a towel or this three by three piece of gauze. 
and you would want to apply direct pressure to the wound for three to five minutes. So once again, we're going to say that for whatever reason, Winnipeg stuck her nose someplace that she was not supposed to. I know you did. And so we're going to pretend that she has a big scrape here on her poor little nose and it's bleeding. So I'm going to take my piece of gauze and I'm going to lay it over that scrape and I'm going to apply some good solid pressure there for three to five minutes. Girl, you are so good. You're so good. She's like, stop touching my muzzle, mama. (laughs) You're so good. Now, if I happen to notice that she had bled through this piece of gauze, I'm not going to take it off. I'm going to add more gauze on top of it because gauze is made with this amazing crisscross pattern. And that crisscross pattern emulates the way that blood vessels repair themselves. Blood vessels repair themselves in a similar crisscross pattern. Platelets come together and begin to stiffen and then you get a scab. So we are using the gauze to create uh, that scab matrix. So we don't want to take it off because then we take off that matrix that's forming. We're just going to add more on top. Once the bleeding stops, if you want to cover it, you can use something like our roller gauze that we used for our muzzle, depending on the location. It's going to be really hard to roller gauze a bandage in place on the tip of her nose uh, versus if it were on her shoulder, for example, you could put some roller gauze on there. Uh, Keep in mind that dogs are going to tend to lick and gnaw and chew. Uh, So if you have an e-collar to keep them from doing that, that's great. Otherwise, once the bleeding is stopped, most dogs are pretty resilient uh, and don't need a lot of additional care. If you feel like you need to disinfect the wound, maybe it came from a bite and you're not sure if there's an infection to that bite, uh, you can use warm water or some saline fluid. Uh, But again, definitely call your vet. They might want to do something like a rabies check just to make sure that your dog didn't pick something up with that bite. Uh, Now, there are some additional situations where this would not be enough care. Uh, So the first of these is severe bleeding. If it is still bleeding heavily after five minutes of pressure, we then call that severe bleeding. Uh, And that is definitely going to need a trip to the vet. It will probably need at least a couple of stitches. Uh, And so if you are noticing that it's still bleeding really heavily after three to five minutes, definitely call your emergency vet and try and get that dog in as quickly as possible uh, and continue to apply pressure. That is the best thing that you can do for a bleeding wound uh, until additional care can be had. Um, Bites from wild animals or from other dogs, I mentioned, they may pick up something like rabies, so definitely have them seen by a vet. And then anything that's deep enough to require stitches. Uh, And there isn't really a rule of thumb for how we would know that stitches are required. Um, So look for that severe bleeding, that more than five minutes. All right. The other thing I want to talk about with wounds is pad injuries, because these can be really common for our dogs. They're on their feet a lot. Uh, And so it's not uncommon for them to have an injury to their pads. Uh, Now, this is a skill. I'm going to demonstrate it. I'm going to talk through it. It takes a little bit of practice. So if you think you might want to use this skill in the future, I highly recommend trying it before you need it, um, because it does take a little bit of skill to do it well. All right. 
So in order to bandage a pad wound, you are going to need something like your three by three gauze square. It can be larger. Again, it can get bulky pretty quickly. So three by three is a great size. You're also going to want your roller gauze, which we've already used for our muzzle. And then you're going to want something like tacky roll. Uh, and so this is tacky roll. It is like roller gauze, but it has some stretch to it. Uh, and it sticks to itself. So as you use it and you roll it, you press it against itself and it sticks to itself. Uh, and so this is a great first aid tool. This is fantastic for children who don't like band-aids because they hurt coming off. This is also fantastic for dogs because you don't necessarily want to use tape that's going to rip at their fur when it comes off. Um, so I highly recommend this tacky roll um, for all sorts of first aid emergencies. This is my go-to. It's one of my favorite first aid materials. If you don't have tacky roll or if you don't have access to tacky roll, uh, tape does work. You're going to want to use a medical tape, not like packing tape or duct tape. Um, try and use a medical tape. It is less sticky and so it will hurt less coming off. All right, so what you're going to do and what I'll do is I will try and bring Winnipeg here into focus. When you have a pad injury is you are going to want to first control the bleeding. So we're going to say that it has been three to five minutes. I've been using my gauze pad here on her foot and she seems to have stopped bleeding. So now I'm ready to go ahead and wrap it to keep it protected for the next day or so. All right. Now I can do this in a couple of different ways. I can use my roller gauze to go up and down the leg a few times and then rotate it and wrap around the leg. That is definitely a skill that takes some practice. So if you want to use that method, you are going to want to um, look into that more extensively and have a chance to practice that skill. What we recommend is that you are going to take two lengths of your roller gauze, long enough to go at least above their ankle, and you're going to cut those and you are going to place them in a plus sign. So there's my first piece. Here's my second piece. I have trimmed it and I'm going to place it in a plus sign so that the middles overlap. And then I'm going to take my gauze and I'm going to put that right in the middle of my plus sign. I'm trying to see where you guys will be able to get a good visual. Okay. And now I'm going to take this whole shebang and I'm going to pick it up and place her pad right in the middle of that T. Now what you'll notice is that the ends of those plus signs then come up on either side of her leg and also on the front and back of her leg, creating basically a stirrup for that gauze pad that is on the bottom of her foot. Then I'm going to take either my roller gauze or my tacky roll, and starting at the toes, I'm going to wrap that whole thing together. Now, when you're doing this, you want your wrap to be firm, but not too tight. You should be able to slide two fingers under the edge of your wrapping. Otherwise, it'll be too tight and it could cut off circulation. Now, once I have rollered it, I can cut off the end and tuck the end into the top of the rolling. Just gonna tuck that end in. And then I can either use my tacky roll and just roll the top of it, 
or use tape to roll the top of it to keep it in place. Once again, we wanna make sure we're going above that first joint, that ankle joint, because that bend in the joint is gonna do a lot of the work to keep it on our dog, all right? And then of course, as they're recovering, we don't necessarily want to be taking them out and making them walk on this injured and bandaged foot. What do you think, Winnipeg? Nice, you're so good, thank you. Now that is a complex skill. Again, I highly recommend that if you want to use that, practice ahead of time. Uh, that's gonna be part of your emergency preparation is knowing how to use these skills uh, that I'm talking about today. Um, I have practiced this about four or five times and it's still not a great skill. It is not my strong suit. So clearly more practice is needed for me. Uh, are there any questions about treating bleeding wounds before I move on? I, I think one thing that would be helpful is because we do have quite a few people who actually um, can't see what you're doing. So when you've actually designed the whole thing and it and it's actually just kind of coming up all the way around, almost like a cast, isn't it? Kind of. It is. Yes. So when you make that plus sign out of the gauze, you have very long tails that come all the way up the leg above the first joint in the leg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you wrap the whole thing uh, on Winnipeg. It is actually, it's almost to her elbow. So it is quite long. Um, it's probably eight to 10 inches long from her pad to where the wrapping ends. Right. Okay. Um, all right. There is uh, someone with the, uh, in the 253 area code, um, that um, has a question. Go, and you'll need to unmute yourself. The person in the 253, star six. They're not, they're not, they're not getting the, let's try that again. Okay, so um, we're not, not getting it. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and, um, and go on then. Okay, absolutely. Uh, so the last thing that uh, I want to talk about and spend a chunk of time on is heat and cold related emergencies, because these can be common uh, in our area in Washington, depending on where in Washington you live. Uh, and so the first one I want to talk about is heat related emergencies. So your dog getting too hot. Uh, and again, prevention is key with heat-related emergencies, making sure they have lots of access to cool, fresh water, keeping them inside or in an air-conditioned area on particularly hot days, etc. Uh, be aware that their pads, their skin on the bottom of their feet can burn when it touches hot pavement or hot concrete. Uh, and so the rule of thumb that we recommend is to take the back of your hand and press it down. <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, my goodness. Press it down on the asphalt or the sidewalk where you're going to be walking. You want to use the back of your hand because that is more sensitive than the, um, the pads of your fingers. Um, and as you're pressing it down, you should be able to hold the back of your hand to the ground for at least seven seconds without becoming so uncomfortable that you pull it away. If you can't do that for at least seven seconds, it is too hot for your dog to be walking on that ground. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Um, and something else to keep in mind, we often forget that sand can be extremely hot on our feet. Uh, and so whether it is pavement and asphalt and sidewalk, or whether it is uh, sand, we definitely want to make sure we're checking sand the same way before we ask our dogs to walk on it. Now, if it's too hot to walk on the ground, uh, we still have lives, we still have places to go. Uh, and so definitely use booties if you have those. Those are meant to protect the dog's feet from both hot and cold. Um, so definitely utilize those. Uh, if you can have them stand on a towel while they're waiting to load in or out of a car, that's a great tool as well. Uh, and then if they can walk on either the shade or the grass, uh, those are great ways to work around it as well. But booties are probably going to be your best bet for our busy lives as we're taking our dogs with us everywhere. We also want to make sure we're aware of the potential for dehydration in our dogs. Uh, when we're home and they have free access to water, they can drink whenever they want. That's great. When we're out in public and we're asking them to go for longer periods of time without taking a drink, we need to be aware of when they're showing signs of dehydration. Uh, and so one of the quick ways that we can look for that is we can actually grab a portion of their skin and fur and lift up. If you've dealt with puppies, you know they have all that extra fur and skin. They have rolls and rolls and rolls of it. As our dogs get older, they have less rolls, fewer rolls, but they do still have some ability to stretch their skin. And so if you pull up on that skin and fur and then let go, you should see it bounce back right away. If you're able to note that in the video right now, you can see I'm pulling up on her skin and fur. And as soon as I let go, it bounces right back. That shows that she is well hydrated. She has good resiliency in her skin. If that skin and fur were to stay tented in that grip, um, that grip visual there, uh, then she would be dehydrated and would need access to water. And the nice thing about that is you can feel it tactilely. Uh, you can tell when you rub your hand down her body that, oh, that grab disappeared. Uh, and you would be able to tell if you made that grab and then rubbed your hand down her body, you would be able to feel it still tented. Um, and so that's a really great tool that we can use to check for dehydration in our dogs. The best place to do it is right between the shoulder blades uh, in the center of the back. Um, so right uh, either just above or just below where the harness sits would be a great place to look for that. If we do think that our dogs are overheated, please call the vet, absolutely, and then begin active cooling. So you're going to want to submerge as much of your dog as possible in cool water, offer clean, cool water to drink. Um, we're going to start cooling their body down as quickly as we can. That fur is a great insulating layer, but when our dogs get too hot, it does the opposite. It keeps the heat in. So we want to dampen that fur. We want to get that cool water all the way down to their skin so that it can begin to start pulling that heat away from their body. Now, the opposite of heat-related emergencies are going to be our cold-related emergencies. Uh, the first one uh, we'll talk about is frostbite. Uh, so frostbite is most likely to occur on exposed skin surfaces, especially in the extremities. So think of like the tip of the nose of the dog, uh, the pads of the paws, even the tips of the ears, even though they have fur on them, it's very fine fur. Uh, and so the tips of the ears are at danger of frostbite. 
this is particularly true if any of these parts of the dog were wet or damp prior to going out in the cold. Prevention is your best bet with frostbite. Use your booties to keep those pads safe. Stay inside if you can. Wait until the dog is dry if they're damp. Uh, and if you notice blisters developing on the pads after being out in the cold, call your vet right away. Those blisters are a sign that frostbite has occurred. And then finally in the cold, hypothermia. So a general rule of thumb is if you're cold, your dog is cold. Think of their fur as like a layer of clothing for them. So if you are outside for a long period of time and you are shivering and you are cold, chances are your dog is cold as well. Uh, look for them to be shivering. Dogs will shiver when they get cold uh, or slowing down as they begin to cool systemically. Uh, their brains begin to slow down. A lot of the blood that was in the brain that helps them do their work well uh, begins to coalesce around their critical organs, their heart, their lungs, etc. And so you'll notice them slowing down quite a bit. Get to a warm place. Consider wrapping them in a blanket. And you can always add a warm, not hot water bottle around 100 degrees, a little bit warmer than they are, 100 to 105 degrees, a little bit warmer than they are, uh, but not hot enough to burn them, certainly. Uh, and again, if you think your dog has systemic cooling like hypothermia, definitely call your vet for additional guidance. Really quickly, I want to cover ingestions because our dogs tend to eat stuff, hopefully less once they become guide dogs. As puppy raisers, we see a lot of ingestions early on, things that they've eaten that they're not supposed to. And an ingestion can be anything from a sock to uh, something they just really weren't supposed to eat, a poison. Um, my dog, I have chickens. My dog likes to find the chicken poop, which is really gross to me. Um, so we're doing some work around that. That's disgusting. Um, definitely call your vet if there has been any kind of an ingestion. Uh, I've had a puppy eat a magnet. That's really dangerous because it can fold over and connect to itself inside of the intestine and create a blockage. Uh, and so treatment for an ingestion may be as simple as waiting for it to pass. My son was very disappointed when a previous puppy ate a Lego, and then I made him go get the Lego after it came out. Um, or it could include things like induced vomiting, uh, or it could include surgery. So definitely find out from your vet which path they would like to take. Uh, and it's a good idea to have hydrogen peroxide available in your pet first aid kit, uh, because that is a typical, a common uh, vomit inducer. Uh, so if the vet asks you to induce vomiting, uh, they will give you the correct dosage uh, and then they will ask if you have hydrogen peroxide. That's typically what they use to induce vomiting. Um, and it happens very quickly. If you're asked to induce vomiting uh, and you treat them for it, it will be within one to two minutes that they will throw up whatever the item is. All right. And then the last one that I want to talk about really briefly is shock. And I mentioned this early on that sometimes there are no external symptoms for what is going on with our dogs. And seeing them go into shock is going to be the first time that we realize there is something wrong. Um, and so if your dog is ill, you would be looking for symptoms such as those very pale gums. Remember, we talked about the um, capillary action where you press your finger to the gums and you wait and see how quickly 
that pink color comes back. Uh, the gums themselves might even be a pale color, not pink at all. Um, you would also see a depressed mental status. So we kind of talked about this with hypothermia, that they're going to be slowing down. They're not going to be as responsive. They may even in extreme cases become unconscious. Uh, and they're going to have an abnormal pulse or heart rate. It'll either be very slow, much less than those normal standards we talked about, uh, 60 to 100 beats per minute, or it will be very, very fast. Uh, and so if you see that, you are going to want to call your vet, call your emergency vet right away, uh, wrap them up in a blanket to keep them warm. Shock tends to result in general cooling of the body. And then you'll want to bring them in to be seen right away. Uh, we had this happen with one of our previous puppies, Roxanne. Uh, she actually vomited uh, and she had very poor blood perfusion, no capillary response action, uh, depressed mental status. She wasn't unconscious, but she was pretty close. Uh, we called the vet and went in for emergency care. We were seen within an hour of her first symptom uh, and it likely saved her life. Um, she had a viral infection with no other symptoms. Uh, and so when she went into shock, it was because her body was actually shutting down from the viral infection. Um, if we had not brought her in, she likely would not have made it. Uh, so if you see symptoms of shock or a depressed mental status in your dog, call your emergency vet and be seen as soon as possible because uh, that's very serious. It will progress very rapidly uh, and it may save your dog's life to be seen as soon as possible. Um, so with that, just a quick wrap up, general rule, call your vet or your organization for recommendations if there's time and the ability. Otherwise, treat the symptoms, you know, if they're bleeding, treat them and then call the vet or your organization. Definitely consider downloading and studying that American Red Cross Pet First Aid app if you're able to uh, and invite family and friends to do the same. Anyone who's in close proximity to your dog that could be of assistance, uh, it's great for them to know how to help you in caring for your dog in an emergency. Focus on preparation. By and large, most humans aren't prepared for a basic emergency, either medical or environmental. Um, have at least a three days, three ways kit and plan. And it's now a recommendation that you have a 14 day kit. And that's enough for everyone in your family plus your dog. Uh, and include your dog's needs in that plan. That is the end of what I have for all of you. Are there any questions about any of the material that I covered this morning? Okay, I'm going to just really quickly give you all the instructions for hand raising in case um, uh, you don't know them, and then we'll take questions. And so if you're on the PC, you can do um, Alt-Y. If you're on the Mac, it's Option-Y. If you are on a telephone, it is star 9. Um, you will probably be asked to unmute because Zoom has been tightening up on their uh, stuff about that. And so uh, if that becomes the case, then, um, you know, go ahead. So Josette, it looks like you're first. Yes, um, I would like to make some comments. Um, I presently do not have a dog, but I had a wonderful veterinarian back in the 80s who taught me all kinds of stuff uh, that was useful um, 
you know, so that it wouldn't cost me a huge amount of money because I was on a low income at the time. Um, in regard to heat, um, he told me, um, of course, a lot of us don't have air conditioning, and if it was anything like it was this summer, uh, you know, we had a real heat wave for a couple of days. And he said to put um, wrap a towel, a cold towel, around the dog's neck when it was really hot out. Um, also, um, I always carried antibiotic salve with me as well for um, for any, you know, if there should be any cuts. And I used hydrogen peroxide for um, cuts and also their ears. Uh, in regard to cold, um, he also mentioned to put salve on their pads because I went back and forth to Alberta where it could go as low as 40 below zero. And I also put uh, bits of um, cotton balls. Of course, I had shepherds, cotton balls in their ears to stop the intense cold from going in. <clears throat> Excuse me. So those were just a few comments. Oh, and uh, there's something, I think it's called musher salve or something like that you can get. Uh, for the pads of their feet. I got some from GDOI a long time ago. Anyway, that's what I mainly wanted to comment on. All right. Yeah, Musher Sav is fantastic. That is such a great tool. We actually use it as well. Um, and so that's a great tool. Sorry, my cleaning robot just started, so you may have heard him in the background. Um, uh, yeah, musher salve is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Uh, I know there has been a movement in more recent years to get away from anything that you would apply directly to the skin. Uh, and so booties are more of the recommended option. Um, but that's also a really great option as well. Um, so thank you for those comments. Those are great comments. And any of you on the panel who want to just unmute yourselves and ask Rebecca a question, you can you can do that on your own. Um, I had a question for you, Rebecca, while we wait for someone else, and and that is um, the co most common first aid problem I create for my dog. <laughs> I put it this way: is that um, sometimes when I am uh, clipping her nails, I have clipped a little close um, onto the quick, especially if her nails have been a little bit long, and. Um, and then they sometimes, you know, just bleed a little teeny bit. What's the best way to sort of cauterize that and stop that, like, right now, if you accidentally do that to your dog? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I would say, first of all, regular grooming. I, again, I'm always going to recommend prevention uh, before we talk about specific care. Um, and getting nail clippers that have that guard on it uh, is a great investment that makes sure you don't go too deep on the cut. But it does still happen, absolutely, especially with dogs that have dark toenails. Uh, even for razors where we can see the quick, we still get the dog uh, occasionally. Um, so you have two options with that. The best is Tiptic powder. You can get that at any pet supply store. Uh, and you just uh, have a little bit in the cap ready to go before you clip the nails. Uh, and then if you do clip too close, you can actually just press the dog's nail into that cap full of Tiptic powder. Um, and it binds with uh, the blood vessels uh, and kind of creates a fake scab uh, almost immediately. 
If you don't have tiptic powder available, you can actually also use cornstarch. So most of us have that in our kitchen cabinets, uh, and that's a great replacement for tiptic if you don't have it available. And we used to use the soft kitty litter, (laughs) which actually worked pretty well too, because it's, you know, like the powder kind of. Exactly. It's just going to kind of um, clump it together. That's kind of what it does is it creates a clump and then it hardens real quick. Right. Okay. Are there additional questions for Rebecca? You can. Uh, Rebecca, this is Danette. I have a question. Okay. To um, <clears throat> When you were saying pressing on the gums to see if the gums change colors for how they feel, how long do you press on the gums? Not very long, just one to two seconds of press and then remove and look for it to return to color within one to two seconds. Okay. And this has been a great presentation. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. And Haley. I have a question. I I guess it's not so much first aid, but definitely a grooming hazard. Um, We have a lot of sap and I've gotten sap on my dogs. And I used um, just um, some vegetable oil to get it out of my dog's fur, and it worked really well. I'm wondering if you've had that happen and what you've used that's safe for the dogs. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, There's a lot of things out there that can help with that. Uh, Vegetable oil is one option. Um, Groomer's Goop, I don't know if you've heard of that. It's available at most pet supply shops. Uh, and it basically acts very much like uh, like a Gumby Gone or like a vegetable oil. Uh, it kind of allows it to break down a little bit and then get brushed out. Um, I haven't had a lot of issues with that. My cat gets sap all the time. Um, I don't tend to see it a lot with my dogs, so I'm afraid I can't speak to it more than that. I don't know if anyone else has any recommendations for that. I've gotten gum on my dogs because they were under a bus seat. You get all kinds of crud on their fur from that. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, that would be really bad. I've used ice on the gum oh, that yeah. actually makes the makes it really brittle and um, comes off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fun stuff. And I've used scissors. <laughs> yeah, poor dog. All right. Okay. Uh, do we? Have any additional questions? This is oh yeah, we do have a uh, yes. So it looks like Linda. There you go. Question: We live out in the country, and there's these little kitties that like to run around our area with you know little stripes down their back. What do you do if your dog gets sprayed by a skunk? (laughs) (laughs) The same thing you do if your kid gets sprayed by a skunk. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, that you give them away. <laughs> yeah. Skunk is bad. Skunk is really bad. Um, yeah. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, so there's a variety of different things out there. Uh, the good news is that we really don't uh, do turpentine anymore. That was the recommendation about 20 years ago for humans and dogs alike. Uh, we don't do that anymore. Um, general rule of thumb uh, is some hydrogen peroxide, some baking soda, and a little bit of like the, the Blue Dawn, the really good um, dishwashing soap. Uh, and you mix that all up together and you kind of um, paste it on the dog as much as you can. You're going to have to make a pretty large batch. Um, but without really stripping, like the turpentine would have really stripped everything. 
excuse me. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of what we do now. That's a little bit safer for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're still going to have some residual smell, unfortunately. Oh, skunks are bad. Um, but really, uh, when they're sprayed, that's an oil. Uh, that What they got sprayed with is an oil that holds scent. Uh, and so you're looking to strip the oil out as much as possible. Hmm. Okay, so you said that and Dawn, and what was the other thing? Hydrogen peroxide, baking soda, and Dawn. Oh, baking soda. Okay, okay, thank you. Is tomato juice, that's what my dad would use on their um, dogs, tomato juice. What I was going to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> To Danette, go, so Danette, you were, go ahead. Is tomato juice okay? That's what my dad would use on, on their dog, give them um, a little bath and tomato juice? Yeah, so tomato juice is, it's kind of an old wives' tale type thing. And um, so what it is, is it has a very strong scent itself. There is nothing in the tomato juice that is going to react chemically with the skunk spray to actually remove it or even to remove the odor. It just kind of covers it over and masks it with something that is a little more pleasant, that really strong tomato juice scent. Um, and so long-term, uh, you're, you're not going to use that to really get the scent off. Um, but if you like the smell of tomatoes, that's a great option. Yeah. Okay. And so Josette, you need to star six, Josette. There you go. I'm sorry, someone else just mentioned my idea, which was tomato juice. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, very good. All right. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, okay, the a person in the... Uh, whoops, sorry about that. Uh, Zoom has made a, f- a funny change that I'm not liking. Uh, probably Debbie. Is uh, somebody in 509 that's unmuted? Okay, yeah, it is Debbie. I thought so. Yeah, we have used that peroxide, Dawn, baking soda thing many times. And Uh you have to leave it on for 15 minutes. And if you want your dog to have streaks of golden, you leave it on longer. (laughs) Uh Yeah. My black dog, she turned a little bit brown. (laughs) It was very pretty. Okay. All right. Took all the smell off. Ah, that's good to know, yeah. Many times we've done that. Mm-hmm. Many times. The Monica thought the skunks were cats. <laughs> Chasing them. Okay, that's it. All right. All Winnipeg right. would try to make friends with them. We have a cat uh, at our house that puts up with her, and she will hold him down with one paw and groom him. All right. So we have Andy. Okay. Ads, it's Colette asking for oh, Colette. Colette, we have Colette then masquerading as Andy. <laughs> That's it. Sure, we're both here. But my question is you talked about, you know, checking the color of the gums. And since many of the people on the line wouldn't be able to tell the color, is there something about the feel or anything else that would help other than having a sighted person around? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, And unfortunately, a lot of our medical skills, um, and we run into this even with humans, are uh, extremely neurotypical. They assume a great deal in order for them to work. Um, So color is a great indicator. There is a textural change. Um, You'll notice that instead of being um, like smooth and silky, Uh, you might notice that the gum is a little bit tacky. It's a little sticky. Um, And so that is uh, both a sign of dehydration and a sign of um, just something not quite right in terms of circulation. 
Um, so there is a tactile indicator. Uh, again, it's going to be really subtle. Um, and so knowing your dog, again, is so important. So you can tell the difference between normal and abnormal. Uh, if you have a sighted person with you, uh, or if you have some sight, uh, and they can provide some assistance with that, um, you know, color is going to be your best indicator, uh, but there is a little bit of a tactile change that you may be able to notice if you are examining your dog regularly and you're really familiar with um, what your dog's gums would feel like normally. Okay. He hello? Yes. This is Colleen Smith, and I, I was the one that tried to ask a question earlier, and I couldn't get the phone to unmute and it just prompted me just now that I okay. could possibly do it now. So anyways, I, I had a question on uh, the bandaging actually of the paw uh, with the tech. Whoops. What oh. She got, yeah, that, go ahead and do yours. You should be able to, we were actually uh, muting, um, taking care of Colette, but this is kind of doing a weird thing here. And Josette, we've had a couple comments from you, so let's let some other people have an opportunity. Go ahead, uh, Colleen, I think your name was, if you would do the star nine on your phone so we can get your hand so we can see which one you are. And I'm sorry for cutting you off. I think there you are. All right. Now let's try that again. Okay. You, you should be able to unmute now. And I'm sorry, we nailed you by accident. Um, while we're waiting for you to figure out getting your, yourself unmuted, let's go ahead and have uh, Jolene. You can unmute yourself, Jolene. Huh. We're all having a little bit of stuck time. You uh, can you find the unmute button, Jolene? You should be you should be good. And also the person on the phone um, that I accidentally cut off. That was Colleen. Yes, and you should be able to also unmute. Either one of you should be able to. All right. So um, while we wait for them to work that out, let's I'll let Josette, so you should be able to unmute Josette. I wonder why everybody's sort of stuck on having, getting unmuted right now. Yeah, um, I just go. wanted to mention in regard to checking the color of the dog's gums, I wonder, um, you know, if the dog, if the dog would uh, cooperate with it, if you could get a, a color identifier close enough to their gum to um yeah, i think you could yeah just a, just an idea you wouldn't have enough light for one thing for the color identifier to work but it's a creative solution it I is outside the box thinking okay, great yeah okay all right so how are we doing with our other folks uh, Jolene, have you found your um, unmute? I'm not sure if you're on your iPhone, if it's that's on the bottom of your phone, or if you're on a PC, it would be um, Alt-A to get yourself unmuted. And still looking for uh, Colleen to be able to unmute from the phone. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lower Josette's. And if anyone else would like to raise their hand, we'll try to add you to the queue so that we don't get too much confused. We're almost out of time. Deb, this is Daryl from ACB Radio. Can yeah. I ask a question? Yeah. My question is, could you talk a little bit about dogs eating grass? The old wives' tale was that if a dog ate grass, they had an upset stomach. Can you talk a little bit about if that's true and, and what that means when a dog eats the grass? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um 
So it doesn't necessarily mean that they will throw up and it doesn't necessarily mean that they have an upset stomach. There is some truth absolutely to that. Um, and if they eat grass followed by vomiting, obviously, clearly they had an upset stomach. Um, but they can also eat grass for a variety of other reasons as well. I mentioned earlier that my dog likes to eat chicken poop, which is super gross. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes there's still some on the grass, even after a good rainstorm. And so she'll eat the grass because that's what's there. Uh, so it may be that there's just something really good about the patch of grass. Uh, but if you see your dog regularly eating grass and then vomiting, um, that's probably a sign that you need to call the vet and make an appointment uh, and at least discuss what are the reasons that this could be happening. It may be something simple like a dog food change. Uh, they may be getting into something that you're not aware of. Uh, a lot of dogs don't react well to extra fatty or greasy things. Uh, so you might see it happen, for example, after you gave them a bite of bacon. Um, so just be really being aware of what your dog is eating uh, and what might be triggering it from that perspective. And then if that's not what is causing it, go ahead and call the vet and talk through what are some of the options um, available for curbing that. Ever since Mr. I've had my oh sorry, oh, go ahead. No, ever go since ahead. I've had my dog, uh, she'll always eat grass, and she's in fine health. Nothing happens. Should I really worry that she, you know, regularly wants to eat grass for no apparent reason? I wouldn't worry about it too much, especially if you've discussed it with your vet. Um, yeah, there may just be something in that that she's, she's missing uh, nutrient wise out of her food, um, or it may be that she just likes to do it. Um, now, that said, you can curb the behavior as she goes for the grass. You can kind of with a little collar, a little pull on the collar, tell her no ma'am um, and see if that helps. But once those habits are kind of ingrained, it's really hard to break them. So if it's not hurting anything and you've talked to your vet, I wouldn't worry about it. Thank you. Okay, we've got Hello. Jolene, but before we have you, Jolene, let's have Colleen because she is unmuted and back with us and she really <laughs> Okay, yeah, just real quick um, on the um, um, tacky um, uh, gauze. Uh, I was listening. I, I just wanted to know the width. Oh, that's an I'm not, I'm, question. Yeah, so I typically use uh, two-inch tacky gauze. It's great for children and it's great for dogs, which are about the same size. Okay. Uh, it does come smaller. It's really hard to yeah. use smaller the one inch is just not useful um and it does actually come larger as well i believe there's like a three inch and a four inch i tend to find that those get to be awfully big um so i use the two inch this is like my go-to okay. if i were to tell you to have one thing in your first aid kit this tacky roll is it yeah i like the stuff too <laughs> yeah all right and jolene uh, first of all um i'd like to share what happened to me why i couldn't unmute Perhaps it's helpful, but I didn't have a number pad on my screen, and I was swiping and checking all around, and eventually I found something that said that the moderator would like me to unmute, right. and then I could find the unmute button. So I don't know if you there. need to recognize us. No, nope. nope. once, once, once you have that prompt, then you just need to find that button. And it is yeah, yeah. hard to find. Once in a while, I have I tell people to actually start from the right corner of the phone and flick left because it's actually easy to get sort of stuck into the video part of the phone. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I haven't done that a lot. But anyway, the question, the comment that I wanted to make 
I did have a dog once that got overheated. She was a young dog and it wasn't that hot, but she had an underlying medical condition that probably contributed to her uh, having that problem. And she was kind of staggery and walking slow and we did make it home. But uh, I remember that at that time I had just read something about if they are overheated, you don't want to submerge them in cold water because that can send them into, uh, I don't know whether I would use the word shock or something, but they suggested just her feet and just her around her neck. So I put her in the shower and I just ran the shower on the floor of it to just get her feet. And that's why it sticks out so much. Of course, I called the vet too, but it sticks out in my mind so much not to over uh, do, be overzealous in cooling her off. So I, I just like you to reiterate comment Maybe that was old information. It worked. She got out of it. But tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we use the word cool, not cold. Um, And so that's a great point. Definitely don't submerge them in cold water, not in ice water, not in water with ice cubes in it. Um, You want cool, not cold. And if just submerging the pads is enough for them to begin to recover, definitely go that route. Wet dogs are not a lot of fun to be around. Like just do the pause. Um, If that's not enough and at the recommendation of your vet, because I would hope you called your vet first thing as soon as uh, you noticed that this was happening, Um, not you personally, but you globally, um, you know, follow those recommendations. As I said at the beginning, your vet's recommendations should always supersede anything that I've shared today. This is Vivian. Yeah, go ahead, Vivian. Oh, okay. Sorry. Daryl, um, I have, I'm on my eighth guide and they have all eaten grass. They like to graze like the cows um, and it's never been a problem. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. I've had several who, who've been grass eaters as well. We try really hard as puppy raisers to cut that behavior out. It's not always successful. <laughs> Some of them don't develop it till they get a little older. They were smart enough not to do it while they were with you guys. That's and, right. And said yeah. later, you know, grass might be good. That's <laughs> true about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we probably have time to take one more question. If there's somebody, and looks like the way this is Zoom is operating today with me, that any of you would be able to unmute and ask that question. But we have just a couple more minutes. So as we can take one more question. Do we need to have time for Sarah? Yeah. Do we have Sarah? Is she, is she on? I don't think she's here. I don't think she's here. Okay. Well, Rebecca can talk two minutes about the primrose. Oh, yeah. Let's let her do that since we don't have additional questions. We'll let you talk a couple minutes about primrose. Um, Okay. I'd be happy to do that. I don't know specifically uh, if there are, you know, questions or things that you are wanting to know. It's interesting. uh, Just as I was sitting here doing this, I got a text message from her breeder keepers down in California Uh, They have decided to retire her. So she has had her last litter. Uh, She was not bred this summer because of the COVID emergency. Um, And so she is retiring. I believe she had three litters in total. Um, And uh, they were actually not really successful, unfortunately. Uh, Very few perky guides came out of it. Uh, Although there is one additional breeder that did come out of her first litter. Uh, Isn't Winnipeg one of her puppies? Winnipeg is not, no. Okay, My previous okay. dog, Tucson, was oh, yeah. out of okay. second litter. 
Uh, and Tucson did not make it as a guide dog. She had a medical condition. So she mm. is now with Dogs for Diabetics, uh, trying oh, to keep wow. diabetic alert. Cool. Dogs. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was an amazing experience uh, to even be thought of uh, for it was such an honor um, and for guide dogs to reach out and ask us if we were interested in raising. Uh, we kind of laugh about it because when our um, representative called us and offered us our family raises yellow females, it started as purely by chance and now it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, <laughs> Ten dogs in and they've all been yellow females. Uh, so she called and offered it to us. And we said, well, yeah, you know, we talked about it and eventually agreed. Turns out that she didn't actually know she had a yellow female to offer us at the time she called us. And she was just really hoping that if a black female was what we were going to get, that we would accept it, um, which we would have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it was just a great experience uh, for our family. It was an opportunity to really share the mission of guide dogs uh, in a much broader way. Um, You know, we interact with people all the time uh, and answer questions and try and share um, how important this work is that that we feel like we're doing uh, and how important it is to raise our children um, to understand that they have been given tremendous privilege and with that comes responsibility. Um, And so to be able to put that out for the world to see was really important for for our family uh, to feel like we were fulfilling the broader message um, of guide dogs. Now, when when Rebecca was training Primrose, I remember we were at a picnic and she was she had like a recorder with her and she recorded me like saying something about guide dogs, how much it meant to me. and, And she carried that recorder all the time when she was raising Primrose. We did, yeah. Uh, very little of it made it into the final cut of the film. Right. Um, they had a ridiculous amount of footage. They had something like 90 hours worth wow. of footage. Uh, and they condensed it down to an 89-minute film. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was certainly a, a process to do that. Um, but just personally, it was so moving to me to hear Danette from you, uh, to hear from some of our other guide dogs. Mm-hmm graduates about what it has meant to them um and for for our family it meant so much um to hear that this work we're doing makes a difference and and that it matters um so yeah that was hand raise a couple of hands and then we're gonna have to go viola would be first there you go we hear we're we are you ready viola don't hear you but i see you're unmuted and uh while we're looking for Viola to figure this out, um, Jolene, go ahead. I just, uh, I, okay, well, I defer to Viola. Um, I've had dogs, and I've met all the puppy raisers, and I have, I just, you guys are awesome. I don't know how you do what you do, because I wouldn't be able to give them up. So I probably have eight dogs. Um, so, you know. I know it's difficult and you do great work, great work. I, I lost my last dog in 2017. So I'm, I'm currently not with a dog and I miss it a lot. So Mm -hmm. um, just keep it up. And I know this, this, these times are difficult. So, um, you know, we do appreciate what you do. Yes. Thanks. Jolene, real quick. Oh, real quick. I have a little bit of a connection to the movie that makes me really excited, but Mensa is my current guide, and she had to be 
taken from her uh, person because they wanted him to raise Phil for the movie. Phil had to be uh, changed from one razor to the other. And so even though Mensa isn't on the movie, her puppy razer was. Mm. Wow. And that was really fun for me. Just to encourage everybody, if you have a puppy raising club in your area, connect with them. I mean, I've connected with Snohomish County Puppy Guides, where Rebecca's from, and it's just really important, really special to see how much they work. I mean, when Velma retired, we had a party for Velma, even. <laughs> we did. When, when these puppies go back for training, they have a party. Jeanette, sorry to interrupt you, but our time's up. Vivian, you want to give us a real quick? uh, Yes, I do. So thank you, Rebecca. It was excellent. Lots of information and stuff. And well, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. And look to the future for maybe more events like this. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, uh, Deb and Daryl. Yes.